Hey, Jeff. Yeah, Rick, what's up? Uh, I have been thinking. A dangerous pastime? I know. But seriously, I've been listening to a lot of really cool comic book podcasts, and it got me thinking, hey, maybe I could do that. Really? I've been wanting to do a podcast as well. What did you have in mind? Well, I've noticed that no one has done a dedicated series to one of the arguably best comics of my childhood, Power Pack. You know, I was a big Power Pack fan too. I have the entire run buried at my mom's house still. We could definitely do this. If only we had some microphones and some level of competence about doing a podcast. Okay, well, here are some mics. How about if we just fake the rest and see what happens? Why not? What could possibly go wrong? Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. Uh, This is a new thing for us, and we hope it works and you all enjoy it. Our goal is to take a series of comic books that we both loved as children and turn a critical eye to it. We want to review each issue of the original 62-issue run of Power Pack, the series created by writer Louise Simonson and artist June Bringman in 1984. We want to really delve into the char- into the creators and the background of this comic, as well as the culture surrounding it. We also want to spend time talking about our own history with this comic and our reasons for loving it. But these are all things that we will be re- bringing into the show a little bit of each episode. This issue is so dense, and we are delving right into a new group of characters. We just want to dive into the comic head first. So let's get on into the comic. But first, our Power Pack pick, or what we're drinking today. Well, I've got a treat for you, my friend. I've decided to try and match up our issue with a beer. In fact, I'm going to try to do this with all of the issues. Try to figure out some way that we can tie in some beer with either the name or the theme of the comic. I don't know. It's going to be something fun. I'd like to start by thanking the wonderful staff at John's Marketplace, a most excellent beer store. And we have a winner for today's beer. Uh, this, my friend, is Baby, baby Horse. horse. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is Baby Horse by 21st Amendment Brewery. <laughs> this is a quad Belgian beer with a 9.5% alcohol by volume. Now, just a little bit of background for fun. You may open it up, my friend. Let me put a baby down. Yes, uh, we do have a baby, live baby on the show. That is right. We have a live baby on set. Yeah, we spare no expense. Let me go ahead and give a little bit of history here as well. Mm, smells quite nice. Not so bad. Yeah, not bad. Uh, quad, or quadruple, is a type of beer that was inspired by the Trappist brewers of Belgium. This term is used to describe an especially strong style of dark ale, um, amber to dark brown in color, with a characteristic spicy ripe fruit flavor. Uh, That's got a good color. That's a light brown kind of nutty color. Very nice, very nice. Not bad. Not bad. It's got a little floral bouquet. uh... Definitely is a Belgian quad. Um, (laughs) I drink that. Now, well, good, because you will. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just just so you know, too, uh, I spare no expense. We each have two cans. Well, that's how I roll. Yeah. So, um, there are a couple reasons I have chosen this beer, and you can probably guess one. But for those who have never read the comic before, I will hold off on that connection. But the second reason was that this is a quad Belgium. And we are being introduced to four, count them four, count them 
quad children who are at the core of Power Pack. So, I've never tried this before, beer before at all. I just bought it simply on the name. Because that's how I roll. Now, Jeff, can you please read the opening credits? Power Pack, issue one, August 1984, Power Play. Credits, script creators penciler, Louise Simonson and June Bergman. Inker, Bob Viacek. Letterer, Joe Rosen. Colors, Glennis Wine. Editor, Carl Potts. The scene opens on a space battle occurring in Earth's atmosphere. An orange alien star cruiser has launched four smaller fighters to attack a strange white craft that is dodging wildly. The action is punctuated by a... Squacko! Thanks to the dialogue emanating from the white ship, we know that the opposing orange attackers are called the Snarks, and that the white ship is called Friday, which appears to be able to talk and think, and it has one occupant named Whitey. In between the laser fire... They are talking about someone named Dr. Powers. Apparently, he has discovered something called the Annihilation Formula, which, shocker, will do bad things. And that is our opening page. Now, personally, I would never name a formula that. If I was a scientist, or if I played one in a comic book, I would not name any invention after a word describing the utter destruction of all things. Now, I am a scientist, and I can assure you that I would name my invention this way. Examples, the mega kill button, the all-die diet drink, the asphyxiation wave, the homicide diet, murder your way to a slim new you. These products basically name themselves. What would be funny, though, is if uh, Dr. Powers had invented a new laundry cleaner, and they were trying to come up with an extreme name for it to really stand out in the market. <laughs> like intergalactic fibro-explosive nihilistic bleach, now with Stangard. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, but yeah, the truth of the matter is that the uh, chameleons named it, and that's probably after they had destroyed their homeworld with it, so no points deducted from the Earthmen. Blah. Now, if you enjoyed that page, the next page is better, and let me tell you why. We turn the page, and we find ourselves on Earth. Because nothing is as exciting as an Earth homestead. An Earth dining room. They're fantastic. In fact, we're sitting in a dining room right now. This is just awesome. It really it seems to be almost the exact same one, except we're not in a uh, palatial huge beach house, and there's only one child around. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, um, this is an idyllic family setting. We have a man sitting at a table working, a little girl with her nose pressed against the back door window, a boy and a girl doing dishes in a kitchen, an older boy tinkering with a telescope, and a woman picking up a bowl from the table. This is the power of family. And by reading this one page, we find out a whole mess of information, specifically about the children. Just within the dialogue, we discover the main characteristics of three of the four power children. By the end of the next page, we are presented with how the family interacts and talks with each other. We find out the occupations of the parents and their thoughts on their bosses. We find out so much information, such as they only own one chair. Seriously, there is one chair at this table. What is the deal with this? You know, I was thinking about this, and originally my, my thought on it was like, look, I own this house, and if you want a chair, you work for it. You, do, you earn a chair, and that's the dad. But the kids are in the living or in the kitchen. They're doing dishes. What else do you want them to do? I don't know. Get a job, a real job that doesn't involve listening to baseball and reading a book. Well, they're going to become superheroes. How's that cut it? All right, then they'll actually have a real job then. But I was thinking about it, though, and I'm kind of like, oh, maybe this is just Daddy's work table, and they've got, like, a huge family table for everybody, and he just kind of happens to be at this table all the time doing his work. With your example, 
The work table is right next to the kitchen? Yes, for snacks. Okay, I'll buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the layout of their house. I know they have a deck and a dining room. I know it's my house. We got this really nice place. We got a lot of room in it. And between my wife, my daughter, and I, we all tend to occupy the same, you know, 10 square foot area at all times. So I, I can maybe buy it. Yeah. I can maybe buy it. Oh, maybe they're on a rotation center because the kids fight. So they rotate through who's eating it at one time. Uh-huh. I love this picture. I love this artwork. I love this comic. But just this first page, I was reading through it and I saw this one chair at the table. <laughs> it does what the heck? Out. Ah, yeah. Anyways. So let's find out what we know based on this page. Do you want to tell us? Well, Jack is drying the dishes and likes sports. You get the feeling he is that sport-loving boy stereotype. Julie is washing the dishes while reading the book, and apparently she is an avid reader, able to read and wash dishes faster than Jack can dry them. Alex is working on a telescope and being very bossy to Jack. This is the oldest child and the one who likes to tell the others what to do, something Jack does not like. This is good writing. It is exposition hidden in good, natural dialogue. You're not being bashed over the head with a big exposition hammer, and that is very cool. This continues on the next page as Dr. Powers reviews the blueprints for his new experiment and expresses concerns for what he has invented. He does not want to test it yet, but is being forced to by his boss, a man named Carmody. His wife commiserates with him, and we learn that she is an artist. We do not hear anything from or about the fourth child who is entranced by the night sky outside. So let's just flesh out all six of these characters now. Even though we have not been formally introduced to them yet, and some of what we will present here is revealed in depth later. Spoiler alert, they will be around for a while. Dr. James Jim Powers. He has a beard and is a scientist. In the Marvel Universe, this means he is probably a god. Well, okay, not really. He's a good and loving father and a brilliant physicist. But truthfully, in the Marvel Universe, yes, because he's a scientist and a doctor, he can probably do everything from treat wounds to, you know, invent annihilation formulas. Margaret Maggie Powers is the mother and professional freelance painter and illustrator. Both of the parents are loving and good. They come across as very liberal and chill. There is a bit of a lease in Stephen Keaton from Family Ties. In reality, the design, look, and probably some of the characteristics come from Louise and Walt Simonson. I've read a few different things that a lot of the artistic design has was based really on them. Especially the beard and just kind of their mannerisms. A lot of the look of Maggie was based upon Louise Simonson. So it's kind of cool that they just put that in there. And we'll talk more about who Walt Simonson and Louise Simonson are later. You know, I think I'd probably end up doing that too. It'd, it'd be like, hey, why do all your characters look like you and people you know? Well, I know what I and my friends look like. That's why. And probably design them too that way as well. Yeah. Well, if you got a beard and you're a scientist in the Marvel world, of course you would design your friends to look like what you can draw. I just would be, you know, right now be drawing whatever characters I'm thinking of, drawing them with a baby sitting on their lap sucking on my beard. Well, that's uh, that's how I daddy do. Yeah. It's a way to keep the, the child quiet. Have them suck on your giant beard <laughs> during a podcast. All right. Um, Alex, the oldest of the four kids at 12. He is bossy and self-important. He has a big interest in science and very much wants to be like his father. He is often looked at as the leader of the team, using his age as a deciding factor. And, okay, 
my bias just might have shown as I read that out because he is not my favorite character. I do not like Alex. I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. In fact, I, I was going to probably leave this for later on, but from your memory and from your experience with this book, especially now as we're starting to reread it all, who is your favorite character? Who is your least favorite character? Katie is my favorite, plain and simple. She uh, rocks. And then uh, I, I can't say that Alex's not my favorite character or my least favorite character because he's just very he's milk toast. He's just kind of around. Mm-hmm. It, you know, he's he's that neutral filler where you're like, oh, I hate this person and I love this person. What about Alex? Oh yeah, I guess he was there too. So uh, maybe Jack might be my least favorite just due to the simple fact he's always he's a smart ass and he bugs me. See and. For me, growing up, I always liked Jack. I always thought, thought that Jack was the cool one. Jack was the, just a little bit different from the other kids. I actually really liked him a lot more, and I, I could not stand Alex. I, another thing, too, is that uh, kind of how he's drawn and the blonde hair and some of his, the way he acts kind of reminds me of this one guy I knew in high school. Oh, uh, okay. He just was the most annoying and boring person, and nobody really liked him that much. And okay. Here, I will use yeah, my anyways. my descriptor for Alex is uh, my descriptor for a lot of things. He's fine. He's fine. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay. Then we have Julie, who is 10 years old and the second oldest child. She loves books and is very intelligent, but shy and quiet. Where Alex steps in as a leader, Julie is the maternal caretaker with many of her actions. One more thing. I just want to kind of revisit this. Later on in the series, it would be kind of nice to ask the same question and see if our feelings changed about the characters. I have a feeling they might. They might. They might. Yeah. Well, because they're actually. Yeah, you know, we've had upwards of two pages of uh, of learning about them at this point, and we well, kind of have read the issue, so we right. have an idea of what the characters are like. We're like kind of visiting it again from uh, from adult eyes yeah. as the entire series progresses and see who actually is a really good character and who's the one that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just a thought. Um, Jack, eight years old. Jack is the antagonist of the group, but perhaps the most innovative member of Power Pack in the terms of developing new power variations. He tends to be the one who rushes into the battle and is the least afraid. Very bold, likes sports, adventurous. Jackass. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, sweet. Now we get to my favorite, Katie. Woo! Katie's my lady. She is five years old. She is the precocious baby of the story. Possibly the most accepting of what is happening to them, she is also the one who has to really deal with the psychological hit of real monsters. Because she can accept the fantasy as reality of the situation due to her age, her age also prevents her from understanding the distinction between monsters and what she is. She is highly intelligent. At five, she was literate and able to write fluently enough to compose a war journal, copying the Punisher. This is Katie's war journal. Today at the park, I went down a slide. You think I'm kidding, but I remember that. I remember that there is something in the future issues where she does a little uh, war journal, and it is adorable from my memory. I can't wait to read this. Yeah, she is adorable, and I, and if I remember right, she is going for like a uh, like you know a battle hardened five year old kind of like this <laughs> grim dark future sort of a thing. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading those again and seeing just how cute or precocious or oh my god are you serious kid kind of a kind of a war journal it is and one thing i know we talked about is that we're going to be putting together a a website on the website we'll list out each character what their powers are what their characteristics are what their code names are at the time we're reading the issue so we can kind of track them as we go through but this is a nice introduction to them and we'll kind of keep playing with it a bit as we go forward but 
Back in the story, Alex expresses interest in his father's work and responds with one of Alex's most annoying catchphrases, Gee. <laughs> it's not that annoying. It really is. Okay, I, I, I will go ahead and propose that. Every time Alex says gee, we take a shot. I've been preparing for this game most of my life. Because I didn't bring any... Uh, uh, for now. For now, we will just do beer. Salute. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to probably have uh, some shots, too. So we'll be doing beer and shots of alcohol. Yeah, that'll make this podcast work out really well. Okay. Does the baby get a shot? Uh, she's had several. She's up on her flu. Excellent. Vaccine. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> she saw what you did there, too. Yeah. <laughs> the space fight that the book started with has caused some concern on Earth, but instead of the Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, or any other superhero being sent to investigate, the reporter's are apparently just sent instead, and they start broadcasting news that UFOs are spotted in the area. I'm assuming that on Earth-616, this is such a normal occurrence that there is not a War of the Worlds-level panic that occurs. Wouldn't it be weird to live in a world where actual UFO sightings are as exciting as a traffic report of the weather? Once all these UFOs clear up, it should be pretty nice this weekend. And now back onto sports there, uh, Jerry. Uh, hey, I, I, I saw that uh, your, your team won this weekend. That's pretty nice. Yes, they did. It was great. The, uh, there are UFOs up there. Would you guys do something? Yeah, but first I gotta tell you this sport analogy. <laughs> Can you tie it into us being attacked by War of the Worlds, please? That'd be awesome. I don't know. Things are tied up on 26, probably due to the UFOs. That'll clear up after rush hour. The fact that there are space aliens up there and nobody's doing anything about it. Whitey and Friday decide to try to avoid direct interference with Earth by flying low and erasing all the data on Dr. Power's discovery, sacrificing themselves if they have to. They make this determination after discussing their love of Earth's literature and art. Whitey is a chatterbox and super chill in every situation. He cracks me up. It's like right now, his ship for pages has just been under this massive attack by fighters. They don't, you know, it's like, hey, we don't have any weapons to fight back. Eh, we're being shot at. Stuff's going on. You know who I really like? Alice in Wonderland. Lewis Carroll's awesome. Yeah, so he just continually is like, ah, they're shooting at us. I like books. and I think he's programmed his his uh, ship to be exactly the same because Friday's just like la di da di da. Oh, I'm getting shut up. La di da di da. Oh, I have nothing to to defend myself. La di da di da. We are gonna crash and die. Eh. <laughs> yeah, they are so Netflix and chill. It is just crazy to me. It just everything that occurs is like, oh man. Eh. But you brought up a good point with the Alice in Wonderland because the emphasis of literature is all over this book. They make allusions to many different authors and stories. I think that this speaks to Louise Simonson's own love of literature. She has described herself as an avid reader in her youth, and I cannot help but think that this is why she has referenced so many books in this issue. Whitey mentions Alice in Wonderland and later references another work by Lewis Carroll. Julie talks about Jules Verne and his influence on sci-fi and her constant reading. But all of the space fighting and the reporting about the UFOs have caused some UFO lights to appear in the sky. And this excites the youngest power child, Katie. She leaps from the window and starts running around, knocking Julie's book into the dishwater, exclaiming, Mom! Everybody! There are UFOs! I guess I should mention here that, um, you know, not only do we have Jeff's daughter participating in this podcast as just background noise and ambient, interesting funness, um, 
and uh, his child is also working to make sure that his beard is only so long by chewing off the ends of it. Yeah, but, and and constantly moisturized with her spit. Okay. So uh, I got my daughter, a seven-year-old daughter, to uh, record really cute things in here because, well, it's just darn cute. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack is incredulous. He does not believe in this nonsense no matter what the baby says. Something interesting, too, is that they constantly refer to Katie as baby, yeah. as the baby. It, it's weird sometimes and, and, and strange, but it, it's kind of fun. Anyways, Katie does not like being called a baby and throws a little tantrum tantrum. And she still looks adorable screaming, though. <laughs> this prompts Alex. Uh, yeah, Katie is just, everything she does is just great. She's just going around in this cute little five-year-old girl outfit. And is you know, it's got pigtails going on and is just... Or braids going on the back of her head, and she's just she's just super cute. <clears throat> so everything she does is just like she's super into it, and then she just switches in. You know, it's just her emotions are on that scared, happy, angry. Just and but she's you know baseline is pretty happy or kind of so, curious. So so you're telling me that she's a five year a five year old girl? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much. I guess I just did describe what a child sounds like. That's what my daughter is kind of like a lot of times. Anyways. You were saying. Uh, yeah, this prompts Alex to drop a G-bomb. Take a drink. Told you. Mm-hmm. And ask his father if he can st sleep outside with his telescope to look for UFOs. The rest of the kids beg, and the parents relent. Slumber party! <clears throat> After the kids fall asleep on the deck, I freaking love this house. It's gorgeous. It's huge. I, I should mention that this house is, like, on a beach. There are sand dudes all around it. It is the only house you see. Dear God in heaven, where do they live? How much money do they have? And how awesome would it be to have this house? Plus, the deck is right over there. You can see the ocean. Okay, what cracks me up about their house, though, is that <clears throat> the view that they give you from the deck is that the ocean is like 100 feet away. But later from the ocean, the house is nowhere in sight. Katie is awoken because Julie left her flashlight on. She notices the ship Friday floating in water, but she cannot tell what it is. As she fails her stealth roll and knocks over Alex's telescope, the rest of the kids wake up. Yeah, this was just a super klutzy move. She's like, I know, I can look in the telescope. Crash! It's like, it's like she just specifically walked straight at it to kick it. It's hilarious. Uh, your daughter is still too young to really get into this, but um, let me tell you, kids are klutzy. They are really klutzy. They just, they're, they're just arms and legs and blah! That's the way they roll. At, at your age, your daughter is more screamy and needy, which, you know, most babies are. It's okay. Again, we are shown the characteristics of the kids. Jack wants to go and investigate to the point he kind of bullies his siblings. Katie is not afraid, trying to be more grown up than she is. Julie rationally confronts her own fear of maybe seeing a UFO, but wants to, to see it. And Alex is just being his milquetoast self, because he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> But adventuring they will go. I love the fact that Julie tells Katie to not be afraid and offers to hold her hand. I see this really being for Julie's benefit more so that she feels safer. It's like, oh, Katie might be scared. I better hold her hand. I'll go if you go, Katie, so that way you're not scared. Please hold my hand and make me safe. And, and I, I have a theory that I'm going to bring up at the end of the book that I want to talk about. But this really feeds into it. I, I see... All four kids has a specific literary archetype or character 
from another book. And this kind of feeds into exactly what Julie is trying to be like, which is kind of cool. But I agree with you that she is not the adventurous one. She's the one who tries to be kind of go along with the fun and try to go and, and do some good things with the kids. But at the same time, she's not into the adventuring as everybody else is. Anyways, on the beach, they find the ship and they are impressed. Katie, awesome Katie, knocks on the window. Hey, question for you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. What would you do in this situation? Uh, l- let me clarify. What would 10-year-old you do in this situation if you were living on a non-616 Earth? And I just realized this is like the second time I mentioned Earth 616. So for those who are not Marvel comic book geeks like us, let me explain this. <clears throat> okay. So, Earth-616 is the designation given to the main reality of Earth that exists in the Marvel comic universe. So, on Earth-616, Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Avengers are real beings. This is a little bit different than the the Earth that's represented in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which has another designation, which I can't remember right now, but I will look that up for later. But, back to you and the question, what would you, 10-year-old you, do... If you were faced with this situation, oh man, I really do. I was thinking about this. I don't know. Uh, I'd like to say, like, oh, of course, I'd go and explore the bizarre craft out in the ocean late at night. But honestly, I don't think I would have been outside in the first place sleeping. I would be, I'd be like asleep in my bed, or, or more likely awake in my bed reading a book. Or and during like the UFO invasion lights thing, I don't think we would have had the radio on, and I would probably have been playing Pitfall on the Atari. So. In all honesty, I probably would have like uh, not known the situation was occurring at all. See, <laughs> I gotta say that for myself, I could find times when I could have been outside, you know, about ten years old, doing something like that, maybe scouting or or camping at a friend's house, you know, something like that. God, ten year old me, I, I was adventurous. I would go and go anywhere. I can remember riding my bike a lot of places. I remember. Exploring exploring Fort Stevens all over the place. I would probably be the kid to go and get into trouble. I think that would be me. But that's that's my thought on that, at least. But I thought it would be interesting to ask. You. No, it's a good question, because it is kind of like, what would I do in this situation? <laughs> uh, advance the storyline or not? <laughs> in this case, they have advanced the storyline, because the kids think that whatever is inside is dead. Jack sees something, and this is our first partial look at this alien race we see a snout and we get another g drop take a drink so alex thinks it's time to get dad and he tells the others to go back to the house katie does not take this well in fact she throws another tantrum splashing in the water this time it's my UFO. I saw first I'm not leaving it, and you can't make me. And I mean, this is a pretty cute scene. Hands on hips, water splashing, just, just pouty face, everything. It's fantastic. Alex makes another command decision, who put this kid in charge, and states that they will waste more time arguing with Katie than it is worth. I love Jack's line. Doesn't anybody ever say no to this kid? So far, no. Nobody says no to this kid. It is what Katie wants. Yeah, and here's why. It's the fourth kid. The parents are just done. How does it go? Uh, the first kid, 
like has all the rules put on them. Yep. The second kid can kind of do whatever they want. The third kid is treated kind of as the baby. The fourth kid like rules the world. Yeah, pretty much is just like we're tired. Do what you want. I started a fire. All right, that's great. I stabbed the cat. That's good. I I ran away. We didn't even notice you were gone. <laughs> I I. I I always think back to a friend of ours who's got four boys. She's got quad boys she had at the same time. And I I always think back to her because there was one time she left one of those boys at a gas station. <laughs> on and purpose? Nope. I might have done it on purpose. Nope. Putting it on the kid. Nope. <laughs> she kind of put each one in charge of each other. And went oh. until like about five miles down the road, somebody said, Oh, he's missing. <laughs> Oopsie. And I just realized we kind of outed them. Oh, we could, uh... I think everybody knows the story. Not everybody, everybody, but some people. Oh, well, no, everybody knows the story. Yeah, we just won't name names. Donna. Anyway. <laughs> so, Jack and Julie head up the hill to fetch their parents in a pail of water. I see what you did there. And instead find a flying golden praying mantis flying over their house. And instead find a flying golden praying mantis flying over their house. Julie wants to hide. Jack wants to save his parents. Da-da-da! Kids on the beach see the noises and hear the lights, or something. They start to head to the house when the window of the spaceship opens. And the G-bomber drops another one. Ah. And, as Katie says, My alien! Alefire White Mane comes out. Alefire is just this baller name. It really is. I, I'm very happy that you said that because I have no clue how to pronounce it. <laughs> but Alefire Whitemane, or Whitey as his friends call him, is, well, a walking pony. <laughs> He's an albino-skinned, purple-eyed, horse-headed being who apparently speaks perfect English, which he uses to dump some serious exposition on the kids before teleporting all three of them off the beach. And now I would like to go back to our lovely beer that I brought. That was well-timed. Yeah. Uh, and once again, this is called Baby Horse because, yes, the alien of this story is a baby horse. He is a pony. And this is the reason why Jeff laughed hysterically when I dropped this on him. It is a perfect beer match. So, Jeff, what are your feelings about Whitey and his race? Well, he says he wants to be the world's salvation. God complex much. I know, right? And uh, his suit gives me a weird Captain EO vibe. I think Carly, because it's kind of, you know, white spaceshipy captain kind of thing and the era of it i think is probably pretty spot on how so um well i'm thinking that no wait a minute because captain eo stuff came out later didn't it maybe but still i can see where you're going with it i had not noticed or really put that together that it was very captain eo vibe but yeah. yeah i think i think this is actually a precursor to captain eo but you know in hindsight sure it's it's around about the same era and it has it's not the same, but it is similar-esque. And it's probably just because it's a white suit and he's in space. And, you know, well, Michael Jackson, and here's Whitey, you know, going around, picking up little kids. Taking him on a magic adventure. This is a deep, deep hole that's probably not comfortable. Yeah, let's just... Uh, <clears throat> now, here's the thing about the chameleons is uh, Whitey's mission to, is to come to Earth, observe it, and not interfere. Prime directive. Prime directive. And like Janeway, he just wrecks the hell out of the prime directive because he's all like i can't interfere but i am going to uh 
erase your data about this and steal your children and maybe do some other stuff. Well, I'm just thinking Prime Directive and Kirk, which, you know, Kirk just gave the middle finger to the Prime Directive and did whatever the hell he wanted to do anyway. Yep. He yells Prime Directive and then Buffalo kicks a dude. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the character design? I mean, we've got a horse. Yeah, it's a here. horse. He's kind of more, uh, his facial features are more kind of like a seahorse than a traditional horse because the like the muzzle is a lot thinner. Sure. Um, okay. He looks like a friendly space alien. He's not one of these aliens where you see and you go like, oh my God, pure monster, run. And it's like, no, wait, I love literature. You know, it doesn't look like the snarks, which look like these weird hunks. We'll get to those. Okay. We'll get to those. Yeah, he uh, doesn't look like a monster alien. He looks like... Unless, unless you're terrified of horses well then yeah then that would be a terrifying monster from space yeah didn't think about that did you no all right didn't put other people's phobias onto a a friendly (laughs) horseman design (laughs) touche (laughs) anyway back at the house we have some serious action going down the parents are awake i don't know why but and they're a little alarmed at the big freaking orange alien spaceship in their backyard and the fact that their kids are missing that might be second to it i don't know i thought they were good parents but to be fair there is a big alien spaceship in the backyard and that's enough to you know make me kind of freak out too they are kind of like what's that giant spaceship landing in their backyard and where are our kids yeah fair enough fair enough fair enough so julie is forcing jack to hide and to be quiet as everyone finally sees the snarks for the first time so the Snarks, or the Znurks, as we find out in the next page, are the mortal enemies of Whitey's race, the Chameleons. They are giant lizards with crocodile heads, pure red eyes, stubby snake body with grasshopper legs. They are massive and imposing. A bit frightening, but kind of ridiculous as well. They really do have this design look where you're like, how did you evolve this way? Carefully? Very, yeah. very carefully. I mean... There probably were choices that were made in the past. Maybe maybe not good choices by their ancestors, but they were choices. And uh, this was determined to be the most appealing. Here's something I want to point out. And just keep in mind as we go forward and look at these panels here. There is some very specific shading that occurs. You mean uh, crotchily? Yeah. You never see their junk. There is always this specific shading on these characters to kind of hide. Not that I go looking for alien junk, but I'm just saying that there is this shading that occurs in the nether areas. You know, I hadn't noticed that, but now that you say it, it's very accurate. You know, what kills me about them is their armor, because they wear kind of like... like like a partial breastplate and like a tail... end of a tail guard and kind of like a... It's base of the tail belt and, I guess, knee pads? Yeah, I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what they're... Tra- unless that's the only areas of their body that actual, you know, harm could come to them. The rest of it, like, oh, you can shoot me there. It's just going to pass clean through and I'll be fine. Yeah. But let me tell you, if you hit these specific areas, I'm in trouble. I gotta say, I like... I still like them because they are imposing. They are freaky. They are scary. And... They've got some color choice colors, because anytime you get the maroon <laughs> and green, love it. Yeah, boom, there you go. It is a good, yeah, it's a good color palette. They also have very impressive weapons, including a mummificator that one of them uses against Jim and Maggie. 
This is the last straw for Jack. He, like Magnus Burnside's, rushes in. Jack has the best insults. He wings a flashlight at one of the monsters, Thud. calls him dog breath, and jumps on the snark with a punch to the snout. Bam! Okay, now here's the thing that I was uh, concerned was going to happen. I was thinking it was going to be very Sleestack-esque. Mm-hmm. Like Marshall, Will, and Holly. I don't know. Oh no, Sleestacks. Throw a melon at him and you can defeat one. But in this case... Nope, not so much. I... Hey, you know what? He still does good work, but... Unfortunately, a 58-pound Earthling kid does not make an impact on a veteran lizard, skinned commander, from outer space. He calls for his lieutenant to remove the hutchling, translated from Snark, of course. Julie has also been captured, and the Snark commander orders them killed, starting with Jack. Now this confused me. Apparently the way to execute people on Snark World is to throw them really far up in the air. Okay, sure, I guess so. <laughs> well, this is... <laughs> I mean, it does work, and if you, you think, no, it doesn't. It's it's a, it is worse than a James Bond villain killing. It, I'm, come on, hey, I'm going to kill you. So, wee, <laughs> you throw your daughter up in the air and catch her. I don't do that. I hold her. Okay, I threw I threw my daughter up in the air and caught her. Okay, she turned out fine. I yeah. only dropped her. She only has a slight stutter and a slight limp. Hey. We don't talk about that. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's just, it's ridiculous. It, that, is. <laughs> yeah, it is really ridiculous. Cause if, who knows? Maybe on their, their world, they're just kind of like, maybe there's like a bunch of just birds that fly around and they're like, I want to get rid of this thing. Toss it to the birds. So on Earth, they're like, I'm just going to wait for the birds to come. Oh, shoot. There's no, no they're at the beach. They see the seagulls. They're like, obviously, they have the same thing we do. You don't want something? Toss it up to the, toss it to the birds. Problem gone. Okay. And then when they watch these people fall back down and land in the sand and go, what the hell, man? They're like, why didn't that work? You didn't kill me. You just bit my arm. I'm getting pets out. Uh, So that did happen to Jack. Fortunately, he is caught by a magic white balloon with yellow and black dots around it. According to Jack, they're around me. It's shimmering and I'm not falling anymore. This is some fantastic telling show. I mean, like, we don't already see it, Jack. Thank you. Jack is a, just kind of likes to dialogue what's happening to him. Just a bit. Yeah. Uh, anytime it's just like, there might be something that needs to be explained that you're seeing, I'm going to tell you what's going on. It's a visual medium. The comic's right there. We can see it, Jack. Thank you. I appreciate it, but all right, whatever. Anyway, boom. Whitey has shown up with Alex and Katie. Whitey also zaps the snark with an energy bolt while he assures Jack that his gravity field will bring him safely to the ground. He has time before he tries to rescue Julie to explain that he nicknamed these aliens Snarks, which is close to their unpronounceable name, Snark, based on a poem from Lewis Carroll. Now, as a kid, I was always curious about this poem, but I never got around to look it up. But thanks to Dr. Internet, (laughs) I did. The full title is The Hunting of the Snark, An Agony in Eight Fits. It is known as an onsense rhyme or a romantic quest, depending on how you how it is critiqued. It deals with nine companions and a beaver, all named after a title beginning with the letter B, such as Bellman, Boots, Bonnet Maker, and Beaver. This poem has a frickin' beaver in it. That's cool. I can't say that enough. It's pretty awesome. They are all hunting the elusive snark. This poem is well known for its use of portmanteaus, a single word that is a combination of several other words, a literary effect Lewis Carroll enjoyed using. 
this poem is kind of amazing. I don't know if you get a chance to read it or not, but it really doesn't have much to add to the power pack story beyond the use of the word snark and the literary callouts the book has already made. But I would argue that the fantastical nature of the verses, along with the adventurous theme, is consistent with the nature of comic books in general. And there is an anamorphic beaver in the poem and a talking horse alien in power pack. So, you know, I've never read that poem, so I had no familiarity with it at all. So I've just been kind of talking to hear myself talk here. No, sort of what you are informing me as well as the listener about something that I didn't have any idea about. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is good. Hey, read it. Enjoy it. It's long. <laughs> You're telling them to enjoy the beaver. Yes. Yes. Dear uh... listener, please enjoy the beaver. <laughs> Well, um, I'm on my second can. I don't know about you. I'm still on my first. So Whitey demands the Snarks give him Julie, which again involves the throwing of a child. <laughs> I'm, be- <laughs> I'm beginning to think that this is something done on the Snark home world. They don't have baseball or football. They have hatchling hurl. This is disturbing, but I love this ground shot of the Snark throwing Julie. It's like a cameraman is lying on the ground looking at the sky and takes a picture as Julie is being tossed. That's awesome. <laughs> now, also... On the scene, Whitey does some serious parkour, and this is before parkour was cool. He's hopping around, he catches Julie, but he also uses his body to take a few laser shots as he protects the girl. Scream. Bow, bow. After scrambling back to the other children, he throws up an effective force field, a molecular density shield that protects all of them and bounces the laser fire back at the evil bad guys. The snarks make a hasty retreat, taking the bound power parents. They mentioned that the blast from their departing spaceship will wipe out our heroes. I also want to point out, too, that there's a fantastic thing here where I'm guessing it's probably the captain or somebody else yells out, you know, cease your futile firings, work. The ricochets are more dangerous to us than to them. <laughs> and I just made up that accent on the spot. That works out great. But, the, but when Rick was saying that the, like their uh, engine blast is going to destroy the field, he actually says, Uh, You will learn how defense... I'll try and do your accent. You will learn how worthless a defense that field will prove against the fulmination from our ship's engines. They use the word fulmination. That actually was something I was going to talk about at some point in time. There is a masterful use of how some of the words are ascribed to certain characters. And what I mean is this. I, I had my daughter read this. Well, I didn't have her. She wanted to. And as she was reading it, she was reading it aloud to me first. And as she was, I noticed that there was a lot of the words she had no problems with. It was the words that the kids were using. It's very much written into her level of understanding and her level of reading. Some of the words that the parents, the snarks, even Whitey was using, she was having problems with because they were more adult. So it was nice to see that that was, that was in there and that was really built into what the characters' thoughts and words and, and way they express themselves. It matches up. You have snarks, which are adults, and they're using higher concept words, whereas the kids are much more lower level. Mm -hmm. That's just something I noticed. As the kids cower behind the wounded horsey boy, he tells them that his people have some control over certain aspects of energy, mass, acceleration, and gravity, which we have seen. He does not have a great control, as he is a scientist and has not practiced as much as the others, because he is not a fighter. He is a lover. (laughs) I'm just saying. He does have enough skills to teleport the kids away in time before the snark ships depart. Back at the ship, we enter a couple of pages of pure exposition. This is really the first time that everyone has a chance to stop and ask questions. 
Whitey's injuries are apparent to the children, but he brushes them aside and stresses the importance of leaving immediately. We, the readers and the children, are then really introduced to the Smart Ship Friday and a good helping of what the F is going on. Beyond speaking, thinking, and self-diagnosing, Friday the ship also spouts some god-darned arms because comics! The battle is off the ship without communications, radar, and warp drives, but guess what? It has arms. It has freaking arms. <laughs> Anyways, it can't see, talk, or run, but it can fly. So the ship scoops up the injured pony boy and the girls, but the stupid boys can walk themselves because he's only got two arms. I mean, he's only a ship for God's sakes. I'd pick you up, but I've already used my arms once and yeah. I have to recharge them or something. Yeah. So I'd go through the water. Yeah. Just walk, boys. Yeah. They lift off. Whitey explains the long story about what the hell the snarks want. As the reader has already learned, Dr. Power has discovered the same matter-antimatter conversion formula that Whitey's people had discovered long ago. Now, when they tested it, their planet did an Alderaan impersonation and went, thankfully, the chameleons had space-traveling technology, so they went to the stars. Now the race has apparently turned into universal stalkers, and our thoroughbred hero was sent to Earth. In between napstering all of our greatest literature, Whitey tripped across Dr. Power's work. Whitey freaked out and sent a message that was intercepted, and here we are, back to the injured foal, telling his story to the children. At this point, an upset Whitey whinnies a whine of wailing <laughs> that he should have let the snarks take the formula and blow up their planet. Alex comments that his father's lab is going to test the formula tomorrow, but at least they have his dad's blueprints. Whitey agrees that the Earth is well and truly effed. You see, Whitey can't do crap because he does not have permission. So once again, we're back to the prime directive thing. You know, have they ever tried to you know, ask for forgiveness, bought permission? Oh, uh, well, I hear that holds up in courts. Really? Yeah. So you're a scientist as well as a lawyer? Uh, <laughs> I play, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not even no, a lawyer. No. <laughs> not, no. Even, not even a fake that No, <laughs> no I can't, can't even fake that. have done some jury duty. That's as close as I've gotten to the court of law. <laughs> <laughs> well, Whitey sends the kids to bed. And we discover more of the smart ship's powers. Friday has the ability to shift the walls and create beds for the kids. Okay, quick aside on sure. these beds yeah. for, for the kids. They're just like uncomfortable like egg chairs. And he makes only like two of them. Hey. And it's like, hey, make some more comfortable for these kids to sleep. How about massively uncomfortable furniture? No, no. I will disagree with you and here's why. Are you ready for it? Yes. Mork for Mork. Oh, crap, he did come from an egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, argue with that logic, my friend. Can't and won't. Okay. That was easier than I thought it would be. Yes! <laughs> Score one for Rick. Whoop, whoop. The kids are pictured here dealing with the stress of the situation in uncomfortable beds. But it's really starting to hit them. Julie is crying while she is trying to be a brave girl. Alex is holding Katie, who is saying that she wants to go home. And Jack is blaming people while being angry. Well, I think the kids are nailing the seven faces of grief pretty damn well. I mean, seriously. You know, you got shock and denial, pain and guilt, anger, bargaining. We haven't quite gotten to the upward turn yet, but I mean, they're, they're hitting the paces really, really good here. And I think it's... I, I like that we're seeing that from the kids because this is some hard crap. Yeah, well... Uh... They honestly do kind of hit the upper turn, reconstruction, working through, and acceptance and hope, sort of in like the last five odd pages, honestly, of the comic. So Fair they enough. hit those two. Fair enough. So when the kids go to sleep, 
Whitey and Friday have this conversation. You know, Whitey is dying. He took some pretty powerful hits, and he doesn't know what to do. He tells Friday to escape with the kids, but then he has an idea. Apparently, chameleons have the ability to transfer their powers. Could it work on humans? What could the side effects be? Will the attempt cause the world to explode? Will the children develop an unhealthy love for oats? Spoiler alert, it will work on humans and they get powers. Otherwise, it would be a really short podcast. But you know, here's the, here's the thing about this, though. If you, if Think about it. If people found out, it's like, oh, there's this alien race and they can give you superpowers. You know people would start hunting them. You know they would. Well, I think we'll see that later on this in the series too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So update spoiler. I forgot if it, I kind of forgot if that actually. Well, happens, it's, but I, it's it's most of the snarks. I mean, they figure it out by the end of this book. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that is actually a thing that you would want to keep hidden from your enemies, where it's just like, oh, you have these powers, and then it puts us on equal footing. But I could get those powers too. From Whitey's knowledge, they don't know that this will actually work. Yeah. This is a real big thing. Mm-hmm. So, not only is he kind of throwing his people's prime directive down the toilet. But also he's like, hey, let's try this thing and see if I can give these other race these powers and die Mm -hmm. and just hope everything works out for the best because I'm dead and really it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, he's like, it can't make, well, it could make things worse, but it shouldn't make things worse. It might actually help. Alarm clock Katie, this is what, the third time her spider sense has told her something was afoot, tells everyone the snarks have found them. Wait, I don't think she has spider sense so much as like ship sense because she sensed she sensed the ufos out when she was looking through the window sure she sent she woke up and sensed the ufo that was crashed outside on the in the in the surf outside of her house now she wakes up and can sense the the snark ship she just she senses spaceships it's a cool power to have it's not a bad one it's very specific use power yeah, I think that she could probably be uh, find a job with the Avengers or Fantastic Four. Oh my, or, of course, like anybody. Yeah, uh, the Avengers just yeah, of course, because you get one of those teams where it's they have so many people in them, and they're like, we need somebody that can sense spaceships. Katie Powers is our person. She's like, I'm an Avenger, and Spider Man is still outside the window, going, oh, it'd be nice to be part. You haven't caught up yet. Spider-Man no, Spider Man is, is an Avenger. Avenger I'm aware of all of that. <laughs> Yeah, he did. He became that in, uh, gosh, what was that? It was the James Straczynski run, I think, actually. Something like that, I yeah. think so. But yeah, so Katie tell, wakes everybody up, says the Snarks have found them. The ship is caught in a tractor beam, and the Snarks demand the surrender, their surrender and that they give over the blueprints. How do they know that the blueprints are with Friday? I mean, did they probe Dr. Power's mind to see if they were at the house, and then they deduced the kids had them? Whitey guesses that they do not know about the testing device, but... How do they know about the blueprints? I mean, for God's sakes. Okay, well, in the comic, they do talk about how uh, they must have used mind probes on your father and learned about the blueprints. And when they didn't find them at your house, they came searching for us. So, I don't know, they used some deductive logic. You're giving the snarks a lot of... They're they're giant lizards. How smart can they be? They have spaceships. (laughs) Touche. Now, Whitey drops some crazy science stuff on them. Humans have adaptable molecular structures, obviously evidenced by the plethora of superheroes throwing down every week in their own and team comics. So he wants to split up the powers and pimp the kid. Nope, nope, no, 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 no. I am not saying that. Okay. He wants to split up the powers and inject the... 
no, no, that that still sounds dirty. So what you're saying is he just wants to put a little piece in No! Nope. <laughs> no. Alright, try this. Let's try this. He wants to split up his powers and pump them up. Yes! Good enough. Alright. This will allow the kids to have the power to save their own world. Finding a giant loophole in his people's versions of the Prime Directive. Now Jack, who apparently is also in training to be a trial lawyer, points out that Whitey's bosses would not like this. Horseboy states, what can they do? Kill me? He gives the kids the choice, and they decide they probably don't have a choice. They all hold hands, and then we get three pretty stunning panels. The first is all the characters holding hands in this whitish yellow glow that has left them as washed out figures surrounded by this black and yellow white sunburst rays. The second is a side shot with Whitey's face half covered in shadow saying, Save your world. And the third is the children holding hands except there's a splash of sparkly lights where Whitey was standing. He is gone. Jack gives some more great tell and show here by saying, He's disappearing in a bunch of sparkles, like fairy dust. Is Jack like trying out for a job for a radio sports announcer? I mean, it tracks, but come on, you don't need to explain everything we're seeing. This is a visual medium, dude, come on. But Katie at this point says, My alien, Friday, he didn't tell us he would die. Kinda sad. Yeah, the kids didn't realize that Whitey would die. Julie pulls out a Star Wars reference, thinking he might be doing an Obi-Wan. They try to use their powers, but nothing is happening. Jack starts calling everything dumb, blames Whitey for failing. You know, what's actually great is that uh, Whitey makes a flash of light. Yeah. Whitey then says, save your world. <clears throat> but then Whitey just disappears into a, you know, a little cloudburst, and then they're like, okay. And, and Jack's all like, what? That flashing light didn't last long enough to do anything. I say we've been had. What, what did he expect? Did he pay for this? Yeah, he's like, this flim-flam artist cheated me out of a nickel. Why did you just make Jack into the old-time miner? Because he's a curmudgeonly fellow. I am going to accept that. That yeah. is perfectly fine and acceptable, and we will buy it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, the curmudgeonly old prospector. In my day, you wouldn't put up with this. Spaceships with hands. I'm not letting the spaceship with hands go either, man. It's awesome. <laughs> it is. I, it honestly, is pretty handy to have. Okay, we're. Oh my god. Pun unintended. It'd be handy on a spaceship when you're oh. like, "Hey, we need to pick that thing up, but we're in a spaceship. How are we going to do it?" Well, I've got hands. Okay, use them, robot spaceship. Why don't you just pick it up yourself? Because I'm inside. I'll pick it up. With the snarks pulling them in closer, we come to a very interesting few panels and i'm going to highlight these because alex tells the girls to hide and jack says alex and he will handle this you know what screw these guys for their total male chauvinistic stupidity but the girls the girls fight back and this is beautiful and this is awesome and and we need to just read this out so go ahead man okay i'll be julie you be katie sounds good all right Hey, wait a minute. Hide behind the seats. Give me a break. Male chauvinist pigs. Oink, oink, oink. Just because we're scared doesn't mean that we can't fight too. Represent girls. 
that's what I'm talking about. Very nice. This is what I like seeing. And I think that we can really prescribe this to the creators and the real inspiration of this book. You've got the art beautifully done by Julie Bringman. You've got Louise Simonson writing these wonderful words. You've got two very strong women creators in the Marvel Comics universe at a time in the early to mid-80s where really yeah, a lot of women were still fighting for some of this kind of power and, and position. Louise Simonson, she had already staked out her representation on the X-Men comic books as, as one of the main editors. Chris Claremont, who was leading Marvel Comics at that time with his run on X-Men, which was really selling a lot of books. She was his editor. I mean, she had power. She had say in Marvel Comics. This was her idea. She wasn't told to do this. This is what she wanted to do. This shows some of the power that she, the power and agency that she is giving women and girls in this comic, which I think is fantastic. I have to give bonus points to the girls for standing up and putting the boys in their place. Do not like the lines that Jack and Alex have here. I'm really not sure what they're trying to say. Alex says, all right. Not bad, huh, Jack? Yeah, for a couple of girls, they're okay. What the hell? Yes, they're awesome. This is them trying to sound, oh yeah, we meant to do that. We meant to test you. No, you don't need to test them. You just need to stand up with your sisters. You need to stand up with your family to fight these aliens. What are you doing? I hate you, Alex. I hate you, hate you, hate you. Jack, you should know better. <laughs> Jack was dumb. I like how he was just like, damn, Alex. Yeah, yeah Jack. It's, it's Alex's young. fault. It's Alex's fault. It's Alex's fault. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Bite me, Alex. Anyways, in any case, the last panel on this page is fantastic. It's a great pose. The four of them standing together, ready to fight, and it's all capped off by them saying, by Jack saying, no matter how stupid it all seems. Yeah, it's just because <clears throat> it's the classic, the four of them, they're backlit, their fists are clenched, they're together as a team, and they're talking about how they can, you know, they'll face any adversity that's coming their way and they'll do it together. And yeah, Jack's like, yep, we will, but it's dumb. <laughs> all right then, when they come for us, we'll be ready. The, the four, four of, us, of us together. No matter how stupid it all seems. <laughs> no, we said Jack's line wrong. He's a commercial. He's like, no matter how stupid it all seems. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> now things start to go bad. The ship lurches and starts to flip and the spaceship windshield fails. Wait, wait. The spaceship windshield fails because it can't stand such force? Like the force of space and reentry? Okay, Mr. Scientist, please explain this to me because what the hell? Okay, this one's pretty easy. The ship had been sustaining massive damage from its previous chill encounter with the uh, with the snarks who were shooting lasers at them and blowing them up, and it damaged their warp drives and their radar and their sensors and their everything. So we'll just say that they normally have a force field that goes on. And keep in mind, this is a scientific vessel. It's not a warcraft, so they're not having you know blast shields and everything like that. They're like, yeah, we've got our we got our deflector shields or whatever we have just to do the things and we're fine. We normally not under attack. And so they've taken, though you can't tell about the ship because it's pristine. It's a cherry looking ship. Right. But apparently it's suffered massive damage. So we'll just say that the things that would normally keep, say, the windshield protected are, you know, they're, they're taken out. So that's what's going on there. That's, 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 that's my theory on why the windshields broke from having a little bit of tugging on. That's my rebuttal to your theory. I think it's crap. 
Okay. What's your second one? My second theory is that the spaceship has hands and normally uses those to cover up the windshield and keep it safe, but it's busy using them to like do repairs and stuff. That's better. Yeah. That's more of a science or comic book logic here. I mean, the ship does have two hands. Yes, it does. Nope, I can't say that without laughing. I, the ship's got two hands, and it holds the windshields together while it's going into. No, no, no. I am going to go with. I'm going to go with. Um, Chameleon super glue failed. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, I could see that. They're the like... windshield was put on by by Chameleon super glue and Earth's app. No, no, no. Salt water eroded the super glue. It wasn't water. There yep, you go. There they we were go. like. Yep. Well, of course we're using this. It's only it's only going to deteriorate and the effects of salt water. We're in space. When will we be affected by that? Ha! Zap, splash. Head cannon, win. Right there. Rick wins. Quack. The kids go flying up as the tractor beam grabs them and the shoddily installed windshield <laughs> fails because of the super glue and salt water mixture. So Alex has got the blueprints, and he reaches up, and he grabs Jack's hand. Julie is closest to the snark ship. Katie and her holding hands. Jack has Katie's ankle. Alex and Jack are holding hands. And then they stop flying. And Alex says, gee. Alex's feet have gone black and checkerboardery. He can somehow pull them down. We have the power! How the hell can he pull them down? Okay, well, he has gravity powers. But now here's the weird thing about this. On Earth, you have one G. That's basic generic. You weigh, you know, your mass times, you know, G-force, which is one because it's on Earth. That's how much you weigh. Okay. And so the snark, you know, the Friday keeps on spouting out. It's like, oh, there's a tractor beam on us exerting two Gs worth of uh, tractor force. Oh, now it's four Gs. And they get up. At this point, they're at six Gs of force, which means, say you're 100 pounds. And you're getting uh, pulled with six G's worth of with a force. So that means you're 100, but you're being lifted up with 600 pounds of force. Okay. So that's why everybody's coming up. And the reason that they're all able to monkey chain up and everything is because all of them are being grabbed at six G's and, say, being cradled and lifted. Now, Alex has the power of gravity control. So he says, I don't want to go up anymore. I'll exert an opposite force. So now he's doing six G's pulling down. And they even mention in here, hey, we're not flying up anymore, but the pull on us is just as strong, only now it's from up and down. Now it makes perfect sense that this little monkey chain is going to fly apart. Okay. Because, say, you know, however much they weigh, they're getting pulled with six G's, so six times their weight up and six times their weight down from Alex. So the people in the middle and the ends are just basically going to just get flung apart. Yeah, but they don't. No, and that's because of uh, comics. Okay. Because it would just be like, yeah, because otherwise the line would be like, hey, some of us aren't going up anymore because Alex can stay still. (laughs) So what you're saying is that everything you just described is crap because comic science. Comic science, pretty much. Who knows? Uh, Maybe Alex, I think, can also exert his powers uh, through people. So say that the six G's down and the six G's up gets nullified and they just feel a nice slight tugging. I'm willing to accept that just to move further on. All right. Because otherwise I'm just thinking that they would all be have dislocated arms and like skin would be pulled off of each other and it would just be a bloody mess. It's possible. But I think what would really happen is that Alex would stay still and the other three would go pulling up. Okay. Because... Alex isn't going to be able, oh, I can counteract six G's worth of uh, gravity on myself, but not other people. And so now 
you know, the, let's just say 150 pounds worth of, yeah, we'll even say 100 pounds worth of other kids that he's holding on to is now 600 pounds. And I don't think a 12-year-old's gonna hold on to 600 pounds. No, not really. I'm, I'm willing to accept it because whatever the force is, Katie loses a grip on Julie's hand and she flies up into the ship and she's grabbed by a snark. And then she's gone, leaving a trail of blue, red, and yellow rainbow behind her. Boom! We have another power! You know what would be great? What? Is if she then just slammed into a bulkhead of wall and died. No, that wouldn't be great. That would be horrible. I know it would be horrible, but it would actually make sense because she doesn't know she has flight powers or anything. She's traveling at basically the speed of light. And so it would just be like, oh no, a star has me. Let go. I can fly. Slam. Dead. <laughs> You see, I think this would actually happen if people could develop superpowers. You know, say they're in this world or whatever. Uh, you'd be like, hey, I can fly, but then I slammed into a wall. Hey, did you know John can teleport? How can you tell? Well, we were at Mount Rushmore, and he said, oh, man, I'd like to be up on the nose of President Rushmore. You know the one. There are four presidents out there. Name one president on Mount Rushmore right now. Uh, you fail. But anyway, he's like, I want to be, I want to be up on Lincoln's nose, and then he was, and then he fell to his death. We need to move on because we're looking like complete idiots right now, and people are tuning in to hear us spout knowledge at them. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. We could redo that part. No. Okay. <laughs> Not leaving all that in because it's awesome. The snarks tapping into their inner encyclopedia brown have deduced that the chameleon sorcerer must have transferred his powers something their queen would love to know and weaponize because if you can know anything and weaponize it you can make money off it this is some good ideas but wait aren't these mortal enemies and could they not have guessed out about this or figured this out in the past well okay we don't know if all the chameleons have powers they say that they can transfer them back and forth amongst themselves uh -huh. and that just might be a thing so that anybody that you know anybody that this race of snarks encounters is just like yeah the chameleons they have these powers hmm. they have never experienced them with anybody else to transfer their powers say they've captured some at no point have you know they're going for information there sure. you know there's like tell me about the outpost over here tell me about whatever, your annihilation effect energy source. Okay. Any of these things. They're not going, hey, can you give me superpowers? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And so, this, you know, the the chameleons are always going to keep that, you know, that's their secret. That's their, their racial secret. They don't want people to know that, hey, maybe, you know, we can transfer our powers amongst ourselves. Don't let anybody know that. Mm -hmm. So you can be a mortal enemy with somebody and you're like, I know everything there is to know. I know that some of them have flight powers and some of them can control the gravity and they have force fields and we call them sorcerers. But they don't know that they can transfer her. Yeah. yeah, maybe, I guess. I just, if they've been mortal enemies for so long, I'm just wondering why this hasn't come up now. I mean, maybe it's just the humans. Oh, it might be. How about this? They know that they can transfer the powers back and forth, but nobody uh -huh. has ever transferred it successfully. And this is the first that they've seen it being transferred to another race. Now, Jack loses hold of Katie because we still have the monkey... Uh, monkey chain. Monkey chain. Thank you. Uh, monkey chain going on down below. And Jack loses hold of Katie because his hand was burnt by Katie's ankle. And she flies up into the awaiting snark ship and is captured by one of the aliens. She's five years old and just been grabbed by one of these like weird lizard alien things. And she puts her hands onto the... Breastplate. Breastplate, and she burns two Katie-sized handprints into the chestplate. Bazoom! We have another power! This is interesting what Katie thinks here. This is the first of a running theme in the comics. 
she thinks that she's turning into a monster. And this is uh, because earlier uh, when Whitey was like, I can give you powers, but it might make you mad. It might make you a monster. It might give you superpowers. It might do nothing. And so in that little kind of like dialoguing, Katie latched on to, I could become a mad monster. And now she's just burnt her hands into a guy's, you know, into a guy's armor. And it's just like, this kind of seems monstrous. And so she's just latched on the fact, you know, due to her small child logic, and she's just internalizing specific concepts here. She knows what a monster is, and she, as we see, has one power effect that makes her look like a monster. So her childhood innocence is in jeopardy here. It's really bad, too. I mean, this is, this is a five-year-old kid. She already, I mean, thinking about my daughter, going through the, the phase where she was afraid of the dark, we got to keep a light on the room, understanding what monsters are. My daughter gets really freaked out by any type of violence on TV. So just having an undeveloped mind being hit with everything that's getting hit with her, and in her mind, it's just that I will become a monster. But the Starks, they have never seen a power like this. And they are hypothesizing that there's some variations that have occurred because of the human DNA. Katie, being the awesome one, dives under some equipment, some very important equipment, and starts to get really freaked out. And of course, when she starts getting really freaked out, she starts activating this power more, and she starts disintegrating stuff, including something like the ship's gyroscope. Whoops. Now we got ourselves a party. Nothing like a five-year-old to really wreck some expensive stuff. At this point, everything she is touching, she is disintegrating, which is causing her to glow like fuzzy Muppet-shaped sun. <laughs> and she's cackling with energy, too. She finally stops and launches out four balls of energy, which do even more damage to the ship, this time burning holes into it. Crash! Boom! Ba! Blam! Katie rolls towards one of these holes and does her impression of David Caruso's career and plummets through the sky. Alex leaps out and catches her and starts to mess with gravity again, slowing their descent, but continuing a downward path. Alex, because he is the worst, <laughs> he's not that bad, starts mansplaining gra gravitational physics to the five-year-old, which of course goes over as well as a lead balloon. Alex and Katie start to work through what has happened and the powers they have and what they have done. Katie again links the fear on the snark's face to her actions and asks Alex, is she turning into a monster? Now Alex brushes it off and gives more scientific analysis to the problem. Because he's the worst. He's not that bad. Jack, meanwhile, is pouting that he did not get powers. He questions whether it was because he didn't believe. Yes, yes, Jack. You need to clap for fairies and always take the play phone when the child gives it to you. Because you no longer believe in the Tooth Fairy, you don't get no powers. Shape up, kid. As Jack questions what happened with Julie, she comes streaking out of the snark ship. She is flying with an awesome rainbow streak. As the kids get back onto Friday, the snarks get their collective crap together and start firing on them. Now, Jeff, check out page 34, because I need to ask you something, because this is important. This is very important to what we are doing. Look at this chair that this snark is sitting in. Yeah, it's crazy. The <clears throat> way that they make it look, it's like it's like a tel uh, like a telescope thing. No, not a telescope. A periscope. 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 Yeah. periscope, but like reversed and like going into the deck of the ship. And the guy's sitting on it, and his feet are all hunched up on it, and it looks like the least comfortable piece of furniture in the world. Now, we have to think about the shape of these snarks. I mean, they have a tail that comes out from their body. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the tail whips out behind them in the from the area that is very cleverly concealed with shadows. 
Or a chair in this case. In chair in this case. Um, and they've got these these feet that they stand on, which are grasshopper type feet or praying mantis type feet. They come up like near where the butt is. I am sitting in a chair right now. And this chair was designed for a human. This chair was designed for a snark. So bravo for the concept and, and how it worked. It I don't know what to make of this. It still does not look comfortable. It looks like it would be the tippiest chair in the world. Especially because it's like your feet are uh, perched up at the same height as where your butt would be. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, we slightly we were slightly jostled. And so I fell on the floor and cracked my head open because our chairs are poorly designed. <laughs> <laughs> but is it creepy or cool? Uh, the chairs? Yeah. It's alien. Hmm. How about this? Fine. fine. The chairs are fine. The kids. Not the kids. Just Alex. Because he's the worst. <laughs> Commands Friday to haul some tail. But the smart ship Friday has not completed the repairs yet. Things are looking dire. Blam. Broom. Ba-boom. Ba-bloom. Jack wishes that there was a cloud to cover them. And boom. There is a cloud covering their escape and snap... We have four powers! And now we have a dopey, grinning cloud boy of Jack keeping them in cloud cover with his body. It works, and they escape. Question, Rick, is this creepy or cool? Creepy. Yeah, it is straight uh, up creepy. I, I, nope, creepy. You, I asked you the question, you asked me, this is creepy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is just, it, the panel of this is just this, you know, like, giant cloud child that just this mad look of like glee you're like Gah! it's the stay puff Mar- marshmallow man running across the sky yeah and he's just like taking these seven league strides and swinging his hands and every time he's just got this just this creepy grin on his face like I'm a cloud <laughs> it is just yeah it is it is creepy it is in fact just very creepy oh here was the thing that I was thinking about this sure. is that prior to this they were saying okay so the snark ship is disabled it's missing a lot of stuff and it doesn't have its radar so it can't automatically fire on us okay but they still have weapons so they can manually shoot at us but they also say because the gyroscope was totally destroyed by Katie, their ship is just tumbling. Sure. So my thing is like, oh, so everybody on board the ship is dead because they're just constantly being tumbled around and crushed? No. And here's why. Because they have these wacky, weird chairs oh. that they can just wrap their feet around and hold on to. Okay, that works. But uh, they're able to manually shoot and you know at the ship, and that's why they're like, we need cloud cover, sure. because you know they can manually shoot at us. They know our range. Mm-hmm. But if they're still tumbling around... Uh, before they start shooting, they do point out the fact that the ship stabilizers are fixed. Oh, okay. You see, they have a ship full of people... And it's not a smart ship, but they've got actual people on the ship that can repair things. Uh, Instead of just a smart ship with two stupid hands to try to fix itself. Okay. I just completely dissed on Friday. And I'm sorry for any Friday lovers out there, but... (sighs) Friday is an awesome awesome looking ship, though. He's an awesome looking looking ship, ship, but I mean... Yeah, he's got hands. Ship hands. Ship hands. Boom. They're actually stable. They can manually shoot. Gotcha. But they can't shoot at the ship because we have Cloudboy covering the escape. And escape they do. Once the ship lands and Julie tosses Jack's clothes in the air and he materializes in them, whatever. They're on the ground. She's like, here, Jack. Throws up the clouds and throws up his clothes. And he just like goes back into his clothes. And we're on the last page. The kids debrief on what is going on. And they do what 
all kids would do in exactly these type of circumstances. After encountering aliens and having their parents kidnapped, after being in a battle and given superpowers, after seeing somebody die to give them powers, and while their bodies are crashing after being up all night long and using up all of their adrenaline, they choose that moment to do some serious soul searching. And they choose code names for themselves. Yeah, they're not the best. We, we've been planning to do this podcast for a little while now. How long did it take us to come up with our podcast name? Hey, coming up with something that had our names in it and the word presents took a lot of fine-tuning. We couldn't just slapdash it together. Our name is handcrafted and artisanal. How long? Oh my gosh, it was supposed to be two weeks. At least. Yeah, and the, yeah, because my name's Jeff and his name's Rick and we're presenting something. And that was. How can we come up with a name that includes Jeff and Rick presents? And, and two weeks, and, ladies and gentlemen. And, and unpacking the power of Power Pack about the same amount of time. Yeah. Let's take a moment and see what they come up with. Since Alex explained to Katie that she was like a battery that stores energy, she wants to be the energizer and get mad stacks of advertising money. Fat stacks, baby. Fat stacks. Katie has the power to charge matter into energy through disintegration, store that energy, and then release it. So she is the energizer. Katie then suggests that Jack be Jack in the Box because she, what, is, what does she say? And Jack's Jack in the Box because he pops up and down like one. Well, she is five. Jack, he, he says, no, no way, punk. I'm Mass Master, and don't forget it. And as Rick had pointed out to me previously, he was like, yeah, no way that can be confused with Ass Master. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so far, what, we, what I don't get about this name for men, well, first of all, I have problems with almost all the names. Energizer is probably one of the better ones. Ener Energizer and Julie's name. It's like, oh, you're going to be Energizer because a battery apparently eats stuff and then exerts. Okay, we yeah, vaguely battery. Your, your yeah. older brother said battery. You're like, Energizers are batteries. I'll go with that. Jack, who can turn, so far at this point, knows that he can turn into a cloud. He's yeah. like, Mass Master. You want to know why? Because I can turn into a cloud. It, that what? has, it, it, I would, you would be like Cloud Boy or Cumulus Man, or that's the name that you would pick. Cloudy. Cloudy. Yeah, Stormy Weather. Jack should not even be thinking about a nickname now. He's like, I can turn into a cloud. This kind of sucks, guys. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so energy bolts, gravity control, and flight powers, huh? Hey, I, you guys want to see me turn into a... Oh, wait, I can do it in this voice. So you can turn into a... So I can turn into a cloud. That's what I can do. So you got them fancy, smancy, newfangled energy bolts and rainbow lightning wings. <laughs> and you got the checkerboardy feet. Well, on my day, when you turned into your cloud, people were impressed by it. We have 63 or more episodes, and I just realized he's going to be doing this voice for Jack the entire damn time. Boy, right. howdy. You want him to see me form a cumulus cloud? Speaking of Julie, she is the smartest on the team. She chooses Lightspeed. That's which, a great name. Yeah, great name. She Perfect. can fly fast. She leaves a blue and pink yellow rainbow behind her. She is Lightspeed because she can fly fast. And she's got a good name. Yeah, I'm good with it. Literally, in my opinion, best name on the group. Yep. She's the smartest. Yep. I, I, I will say, hands down, Julie is the smartest of all. She's got a good power, good head on her shoulders. Yep. Good superhero name, because I know when my parents are in peril, I'm coming up with a superhero name. Yep, that's the time. To, well, you know, and then we have Alex. He says... G. He says G oh. because he controls gravity. Oh, actually, he says G twice. He says G twice. Here's the great thing on that. He goes, G, that's it. I'm G. 
I control gravity, G-power. No, he says it three times. Well, G-power, I'm only going to go if it's the G-E-E. Yep. No, you want it with his, his name too, or? If he says his name G and G-power, then yes. And that is now his name, G, because he controls gravity. Get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? <sighs> the worst. So each kid has a final comment on their current situation. Their parents are still captured. The formula will still be tested tomorrow. And Katie is scared. She wants her mommy, and she wants to go home, which, God, I could not blame her right now. Next issue, Butterfingers. On the last page, we get something pretty cool. We see something called The Power Behind the Pack. It's a full page that features three short bios of Louise Simonson, June Brinkman, and Bob Wysek, which I'm going to mess up that name too. Uh, but this is a very interesting and friendly way to bring the readers in. You get the sense that this is a real work of love from all of them, and it's, it's, it's good information about what they've done and why they're here, and you've got really fantastic character drawings of their faces. It's, it's quite cool. It's something very, very neat and and I might try to just take a screenshot of that and add it to our, our web page as well. Because yeah, it's, it's good. It gives the little bios and everything and gives the little comic interpretation of the, the people that made it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about some thoughts on this book here. I've mentioned this before, but I think that there are some amazing voices for the kids. They speak like kids. Yeah, they're, it's fairly believable. They call you, you know, they say dumbhead, this is stupid. And they also speak at, uh, like I said, a, a uh, educational level for kids. Yeah. The, the words. But like the, smart kids, right, but it's, like. It's the type of writing you would find in a lot of the chapter books my seven year old daughter is reading right now. You know, kind of bumped up a little bit for Alex and Julie, maybe, but it's about in that same range. Compare or contrast that to what the snarks, Whitey is saying. Parents. The parents, there's definitely a different level that they are speaking at. So the, the, there's a voice for the kids that's really there, which is nice. Also, the look for the kids as well. Yeah, you know, what's great about the kids' look is that they do, in fact, look like kids. And they don't look like, you know, your standard, uh, you know, Marvel superhero, you know, Jack body design. The girls look like girls. The boys look like boys, meaning that they kind of look, it's like, yeah, you look like you're not sitting in front of the TV all the time and you're running around doing stuff. There's no defined muscles on the kids. No, they are, they have kid bodies. June Brinkman was really chosen because she could do that drawing of kids. <laughs> she had that experience and that, and that presence of, this is what kids look like. I've done experience drawing kids in the past. And one of the things I read somewhere, and I'll have to figure out where it was again, Louise Simonson was talking about this and she saw some of the artwork that, that June Brinkman had. She goes, yes, this is what I want. This is the drawings of the kids. This is how the kids should look. It shouldn't look like other kids in the Marvel Universe. It should look like these kids mm -hmm. so it's very realistic they they are distinctive looking there's one other thing i really wanted to bring up before we we move into our final thoughts because this is going to be a long podcast anyways well it's a as the cover says it, on this one it is a king-sized first issue this is double the size of most comic books yeah, but it is 38 yeah pages long or something so I have a theory on these kids, and I want to bring this forward as we look through these first set of, of story arcs, but I really think that these kids were designed or created to be like the kids from the Narnia books. Hmm. The ages of the kids match up with the kids from the Narnia books, and if you haven't read it, it's a, it's a series of books that was written by C.S. Lewis, who was also referenced in this book, and the Snarks are, based, are named after C.S. Lewis. Uh, poem. The kids are very similar to the four kids in the Narnia books, the original Nar uh, first two Narnia books. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Prince Caspian. Um, Alex, as the oldest, is very much like Peter. 
He's in charge. He's a bit bossy. He's a know-it-all. But he's the oldest kid and, and like, kind of gets the role of leadership, the mantle of leadership is put on him. Julie, she's Susan, the smartest of the group, more gentle, level-headed, very much similar in their in their description, in their writing style, in, in their voice that you that you have. Jack, very much like Edmund. In Narnia books, Edmund is the hot-headed, the least to believe. He's kind of a dick, and, and Jack's got a little bit of that as well. He's very much the one who rushes in and, and doesn't is a little bit outside the group. He doesn't play the same game the group the group plays. He doesn't believe the same way they do. And of course, Katie, very much like Lucy, the first to believe. She's not afraid. She heads into danger. She trusts people. She trusts, trusts the things that are there. So it, it, it's very interesting about the, the juxtaposition or the, or the similarities that exist between the kids in the story and the kids in the Narnia books. And, and I just wonder because it's something that I saw when I was a kid and I read both books. And I wonder if I, I put that together myself. Um, also, both books explore the crossroads between fantasy and children, the real, the imaginary, the talking animals. There's a lot of things that are there that both books really explore and 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 combine together. And I'm going to be interesting to, I'm going to be interested in, in tracking that as I go forward too. So, I think that's neat that you picked up on that because I never put that together. How much did you read those books as a kid? Uh, the the Narnia. You know, I honestly don't think I've ever read them. There's a different kind of look that you give to him as an adult, but it's it's kind of interesting to see the similarities that are there. There's very religious tones in the Narnia books, which are not necessarily here, but I think that there's some type of a of a callback. I think that that Louise Simonson definitely was doing a call out to C.S. Lewis in in her interpretations of the kids as well as the themes in the Narnia books and the poems too. So, and her love of reading. But that being said. Let's wrap this up by talking about some final thoughts. Now, for our final thoughts, I am going to steal heavily from Hub, who runs a podcast um, called Tighten Up the Defense. He does these fantastic things at the end of each podcast with his brother where they talk about certain key elements from the, from the book. He calls it his minutiae. I'm going to call it final thoughts. He has been very helpful with me in giving me some advice on running this podcast myself. And he said that I am more than... Welcome to steal some of his ideas, and I'm going to steal them because they're great ideas. So I'd like to start off by talking about the refrigerator magnet, because as a parent, our refrigerator is full of a bunch of artwork that we put up that my daughter makes. And so what is the refrigerator magnet? What is the best piece of artwork in this book, Jeff? My opinion, it is the uh, it is on page 35 of the book, and it's the first image of Cloud Jack and the ship. Okay. It is that just, yes. you know, just creepy looking giant cloud boy and the cool looking ship in the foreground. And that is just a happiest child in the world who happens to be a ship. I think that, in my opinion, is just an amazing, amazing looking shot. Okay. All right. That That is a very interesting, interesting piece of artwork. Can um, I guess which one you like? Uh, which one? It's the one where Julie is flung in the air by the snark. <laughs> yes, that was the first one I had. That was my page 17, Julie Dart, as I like to call it. Because it is just ridiculously awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, you are looking up into the sky, and you're looking at this snark just 
tossing this girl like a dart at a dartboard and she is just like an arrow heading straight through the air it is gorgeous looking kind of piece of scenery you're looking at her back as she's flying out so you can't see the just the terror on her face as she's flying through but i did have a second one as well okay i did have a second one this is on page 26 and this one i thought was pretty darn cool because it's there's something emblematic about it it's the picture of all four of the kids in this kind of yellow light so they're kind of washed out with this yellow light all of them have their fist up in the air and they are ready to fight and take down these evil that are trying that have stolen their parents second rubber and glue moment because i am rubber and you're glue so whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you you're a handsome man damn boom Uh, what was the best or most childish insult in the book. Uh, there was a bunch of good ones in there, but honest. Oh, hey, it's on the same page. It's on page 26. It is the part that we read to you, you know, previously, uh, where it's, you know, after Alex and Jack had said, you know, you girls go hide. It's Katie's line, but I love the setup of it. You know, it's like Julie's calling the boys male chauvinist pigs, and Katie just goes oink oink. And it just, <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite child thing is oink oink. I, I, I cannot disagree with you at all on that. I can't, but I did choose a different one from you. I chose back on page 15 where Jack, my hero, my boy, goes running headlong into the battle and calls this alien who's told his mom and dad dog breath. He says dog breath like twice in the comic. This one's fantastic. He throws, he wings this flashlight at this guy. Drop them dog breath. He, he, he also drops the snark. Yeah, he does. I, he catches the snark off ground. The, the snark is on the ground and he goes diving after him. It's beautiful. I mean, just the fact that he calls this giant alien lizard dog breath choice. Very choice. <laughs> Stars and detention. We want to identify the child who is best and the worst in the issue. And what we're going to do is we're going to track this throughout and we're going to kind of have some way of identifying this on the pages on our website that we've got so that we can kind of keep track of who's the best and who's the worst. And of course, you know, we're going to have some differing opinions on this, but it'll be interesting to see. So for this issue, who gets the star in this issue? Who is the best child in this issue? Oh, gosh, it's going to be hard for Katie. Okay. Why do you say Katie? Katie's awesome. Katie it drove the entire story. She found the space. Okay, uh, Whitey and the ship are on the shore. Katie saw it. Otherwise, everybody would be asleep. And no story would happen because the Snarks had come, have captured the power kids. Katie destroyed the uh, the power console, the alien ship. Katie is the bomb. Plain and simple, Katie. I am not going to say much more than that besides the fact that she is very much the Lucy of this story because she is also my choice as well. She initiated the, she initiated the entire plot of the story. All right. Who gets detention this issue? Uh, Jack. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Jack. Yeah. It's Why fair, do you say Jack? It's fairly... I don't like Jack. No. Uh, 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 let's see. Jack doesn't like it. Jack is everything. You're dumb. Everything's stupid. I don't like this. This is... I don't want to. You go do the thing. This is dumb. I'll break your telescope. I almost agreed with you, except for the fact that he took down a snark. Yeah, he punched him in the snout, too. Before he had power. Yeah. Okay, Jack, I will admit, Jack is kind of... I like all the power children. Uh, Jack just is the most nihilistic of the group yeah. in, the, in this issue. 
Yeah. Plain and simple. In this issue, Jack is the most kind of like, this is dumb. We got ripped off because an alien took us on a magic spaceship <laughs> flight and said he's going to give us powers and instead we just have a spaceship with hands. Uh, Jack did take down a snark and then uh, <laughs> got grabbed by a scruff and then eventually was oh, immediately thrown into the air. And not just thrown, I mean like hurled. These hurled. snarks are strong mofos. Well, they're aliens, you know. They got oh, that okay. going for them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm i going to go with Alex. What? Yeah, I know. Oh my goodness, it's like our choices are... I really hate the use of the word G. Uh. Oh my god, I hate it. Also, telling his sisters to hide, that was a dick move. Okay. Dick move. And and I mean, I just he just comes across as milk toast in this issue. So I, Very much so. I am going to try my best to make sure it's not Jack every issue for me, but for me... You mean Alex? Alex. Yeah. I will also I will try not sure. to make the yeah. same choices, but I'm going to continue to say Katie's. Probably, yeah. But there are some issues I think that you know, other ones can step up, but we'll see what happens. I haven't read them yet. I haven't read them. Top grades. Now, this one's going to be really easy for this one because each issue we are going to evaluate every issue against the rest of the series. We want to try to kind of play along as we go through and figure out which is the best issue of the series and which is the worst. Of course, this being the first issue of the, of the series, it's easily going to be number one. In the future, we're going to probably have some discussion about where this is going to rank in the order against other issues. I am going to say that I stole this idea from the best story ever from um, War Rocket Ajax, another fantastic pod podcast, which you must check out if you do not listen to it. Now, before we get to our last part, there's one thing that Jeff is going to add in here as well. We are going to call this section G-Force. And it is the number of times that Alex says G in an issue. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And I'm then going to give you an example of what that G-force would be in real-world standards. That's kind of cool. Now, Alex said G eight times. In fact, on the very last page, he said it three times. Three times. Two times he said G, as in G-E-E, -E, and once in his... Super power, t uh, super name, which is G Power. Okay, it's a terrible name, terrible. but we will we will count that as well. If he did uh, eight G's, he pulled eight G's in this Rick. This okay. issue, he pulled eight G's. All right, which is what fighter pilots will experience. So his face is coming off uh, a little bit. All right, yeah, but again, he can survive. He might be blacking out a little bit. He's not trained, but we'll say that with his gravity powers, he can survive such G forces. He said G so many times. His face is peeling off this issue. Yeah, his face is doing that uh, cool like uh, NASA thing when they put him in the centrifuge and it's all... I want to see us how many Gs per issue and how many Gs overall. Oh, G I, on average. Yeah, G on average. Average G-force of yeah. the power pack. So, I, I mean, as we go further through, I'm pretty sure that he drops the use of G as we get into the later issues. But, but yeah, this will be fun to see. I, I'm going to be surprised if he uh, beats 8 Gs. If he pulls more than eight G's in an issue from here this on This will be out. interesting to see. Yeah. <laughs> and now, finally, our last thing. We are going to have a kid's perspective. And I'm going to ask a question or premise of the book to my seven-year-old daughter and get her opinion of what she thought when she read it. So, Carrie, can you tell me a little bit about what you thought of the first power pack? Well, it was kind of sad once Whitey died. It made me feel, well, really, really kind of sad because, you know, Whitey was the one who was supposed to be in charge of the kids since their parents were captured. What did you think about the kids getting powers? It was pretty awesome, though, because they got awesome powers. 
Which power did you like the best? I did like that, um, you know, Julie's power. I like it because it's really fast. And, of course, the colors. And the colors. What was your favorite part of the entire issue? The entire issue? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really know. I mean, there's a lot of parts. I think my favorite part um, is when Katie, um, once Katie is like, is is like, Mom, everybody, there are UFOs. <laughs> Why do you like that part? Because she was like this. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else you'd like to tell me about the issue? Okay, thank you very much, Carrie. You're welcome. Jeff and Rick Present is recorded in front of a live studio audience in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter, at Jeff Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. We would like to thank the following people for the help in making this possible. Eric for the use of his equipment and guidance on using it. Hub from Tighten Up the Defense, another Portland-based comic podcast which we borrowed heavily from. And Keith from Highlander Rewatched for their expert advice and guidance on doing a podcast. To Rick's daughter Carrie for the sound effects, Katie's dialogue, her views on the issue, and her enthusiasm, wonderment, and artwork. And to our partners, Cindy and Hillary, thank you for your support and encouragement as we attempt something new. We would like to end our show by giving you a preview of what will be on our next episode. In order to do that, I would like to have Jeff's fiance, Hillary, guess at what is the next book by only looking at the cover. I'm looking at the cover of issue two. I see a green lizard man chasing or attacking the Power Pack kids. Looking at this, I say, oh, is this the endless snake from Ragnarok? Are we seeing a future Avenger mashup? Probably not, but I expect there'll be a lot of G. Until next week. Our theme music is 80s action by Kevin McLeod at agapotech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Which is close to their unpronounceable NERC uh, based on a... (laughs) 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 Why was that so funny? I don't know. I don't know.